Good morning, everyone. That better? Yeah. Okay. Um, <clears throat> well, that's something, isn't it? Somebody memorizing scripture in two languages. It's hard enough for some of us to do it in one language, never mind in two languages. Maybe there's a future interpreter uh, in the making there, uh, one that would uh, translate for preachers. Um, I'd like you to turn with me, please, in your Bibles to First Tim- Timothy, First Timothy chapter four, and verse seven and eight is where I'd like to begin. And um, this time last year, uh, somewhere approximately this time last year, I was here, and uh, I was given the very unpleasant topic uh, of dealing with church discipline. And uh, we talked about receiving somebody into fellowship, and we talked about um, the reasons why we might put somebody out of fellowship. And one of the things that I had said at that time was that I am really convinced that uh, based on Scripture, based on 1 Corinthians 11.31, that if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. And the idea is this, that if we were self-disciplined, we would not need divine discipline. In other words, if we just behave ourselves, there would be no need for God to have to step in and discipline us. And so I was asked if I might kind of take up that theme and talk about discipline in the Christian life. And uh, I want to just use as my text this uh, 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. And over the three messages together, we're going to think about these verses, uh, meditate upon them. So it begins this way. It says, verse 7, But refuse profane and old wise fables and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable to all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. And uh, the Apostle Paul frequently, actually, in the New Testament, uh, borrows the language of the athletic arena. It's kind of interesting. We're uh, in gearing up for the next Olympic Games. They're in London uh, this year. So, of course, uh, that's kind of interesting for me. Uh, and um, uh, already the athletes are disciplining themselves, putting themselves through incredible regimes because they want to win a prize. And Paul kind of uses that language here. He says, refuse profane and old wise fables. And then this word exercise uh, here, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness is literally discipline yourself unto godliness. And, and uh, actually, it, it literally means to practice naked. And I'm not suggesting we do that or anything like that. But back in the days before Nike and Adidas and all the rest of it, athletes would take off their long flowing robes and that's how they do their practice. I remember once going to Greece as a, a teenager and bringing back a, a statue of a discus thrower for my, my mom. don't know why she would have wanted something like that, but it kind of was cheap and it looked good and so that's what I got. But, I mean, you get the picture. That's how they practiced for these events. And so he uses that language and he's basically saying with the same, rigor and discipline that an athlete who is running a race with a view of winning the prize, then we should use that same kind of discipline if we would desire to win the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And and so I want to just kind of bear that in mind as we look at this and think about discipline. And um, he, he wants us to use that same kind of rigor, that same kind of determination. Another scripture that came to mind, in fact, it came up at the Lord's Supper, and I want you just to turn there because I want to speak about one of the most difficult disciplines for all of us, I think, and, and uh, if I'm wrong, correct me, but I, I suspect that for most of us in this room, the area where we lack discipline more than any other is prayer. Uh, it's hard, isn't it? It really demands concentration 
of the mind, heart, and will to really pray. I'm not talking collective, I'm talking individual prayer. In Matthew 26, this came up uh, this morning at the Remembrance Meeting, and it really kind of stood out to me. Uh, Matthew 26, 41. The Lord Jesus says this, Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. What a powerful verse. Um, I have preached with men over the years, and many of them, not many, well, not many is probably an exaggeration, but quite a number of them are no longer preaching. And the reason is that they failed morally. They were tempted, and they succumbed to temptation, and they're done. They're out of the ministry. And I think of these guys, and many of them certainly far more knowledgeable, uh, maybe even more eloquent uh, than I am. And I think to myself, and every time I hear about it, the first thing that comes to my mind, he that thinks he stands, take heed, lest he also fall. But then I think to myself, what was it that caused that brother to fall so badly? And I'll tell you, this scripture tells us we need to be constantly on the watch. You know why? Because our enemy is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And he's on the prowl, isn't he? So he says, be on your watch. You be constantly on watch here because the enemy wants you. He wants to put you out of service, out of action, make you useless for God. That's his desire. And so he says, watch, and then he says, and pray. Pray is saying, Lord, I need you. It's, it's an expression of dependence, isn't it? it? It's saying, God, this Christian life is not easy. And I know that my spirit is willing. I want to please the Lord. I want to live for the Lord. I, I want to glorify the Lord. I think all of us would say that. We really want that. But then he says, the flesh is weak. Boy, if ever there was a truism, that's it, isn't it? How many times we, we fail and we, and we sin and we find ourselves thinking things we ought not to think, maybe watching things we ought not to watch, and, and we find ourselves... And, and we don't really want to disappoint the Lord. We don't want to... But the flesh is weak, isn't it? And so he says, listen, watch and pray, lest you also fall into temptation. And so we want to think about that aspect of praying and the prayer life because I do believe it takes more discipline than any other area I don't know about you but sometimes I get alone with God and I, and I want to pray and, and all of a sudden my mind will be flooded with things that I have to do that day I don't, does that happen with you? maybe I'm the only person that has that uh, you, you need to call this guy you need to do this and, and you know it's kind of like as if I'm not doing anything by praying that's the subtlety of it isn't it? You see, we live in a society where to be seen to be useful, you've got to be seen to be doing. And so, you know, this, this kind of push for action and, and be out there running around doing this and doing that. But I'm more and more convinced that if we're out there running around doing this and doing that, and we haven't first laid hold of God in prayer, our frenzied activity will be useless. I'm convinced of it. I think there's a lot of activity in the Christian arena that is absolutely fruitless. It's just religious activity. Because we have not laid hold on God in expressed dependence on Him and said, like Moses, listen, unless you go with me, I'm not going. 
<laughs> That's the kind of attitude. Lord, unless you're in this, it's useless. It's just running around like a chicken with its head cut off. Not going to accomplish anything. And, and so we, we, we come into His presence. We desire to pray. We, we go into the closet, as it were, with a desire to lay hold on God. All of a sudden, all these things come into our minds. And I find myself having to literally discipline my mind and say, No, I am not going in all these directions. I am here to lay hold on you, God. And it's difficult. It really is. It's exhausting, actually. I think praying is the most exhausting thing that a Christian can be involved in. And, and so um, it's really important though, isn't it? Don't you think prayer is important? I'll tell you how I know it's important. The frequency of mention in the scriptures. King James Version, the word pray, 336 times. Prayer, 110 times. Prayers, 26 times. Giving a total of 472 times. And that does not include supplication, beseech, beg, ask. If we added all those together, what we're saying is that the Bible is replete with either examples or exaltations for God's people to come into His presence in prayer. It's there. And the examples are very telling. The Lord Jesus prayed. As the dependent man, didn't he? What makes you think you can get away without praying? It's ridiculous to even ask it, isn't it? If the Lord Jesus, as the dependent man, prayed. And, and what is he doing now? He's still praying, isn't he? He ever lives to make intercession for us. I love that. You know, it's amazing. If nobody else prayed for you today, I know somebody who did. Isn't that a wonderful thought? He does. He lives to make intercession for us. Um, the Apostle Paul prayed and asked for prayer. Moses prayed. Elijah prayed. David prayed. Nehemiah prayed. Daniel prayed. Need I go on? Anybody that accomplished anything for God, either in the Bible or in church history, was a person who knew how to lay hold on God in prayer. Lord Jesus put it this way, men ought, that word is a strong word, whenever you see it in the Bible it means under obligation owes a debt. Men ought, is under obligation, men ought always to pray and faint not. Luke 18 verse 1. The disciples, they observed the Lord Jesus, they watched him, and they watched him very closely, and, and observing him and this dependency in his life, that was so evident in prayer, they said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. They, they could see evidently that was a key factor in his life. And of course, uh, we said already, it, it is a way that we express our dependence on God. Uh, last week, I was at a prophecy conference in, in Manitoba, uh, in a place called Winkler, Manitoba, southern Manitoba. And uh, a lot of people at this prophecy conference, uh, 250 people a day. And they started the day at 8.30 with a prayer meeting. And uh, 250 at the main sessions, prayer meeting, maybe six. And, and uh, one of the sessions, I'm not saying something I didn't say to them personally. I said it from the platform. I said, we are expressing with our feet what is really going on in our hearts. We're saying we're self-made people and we can do this religious thing without you, God. That's what we're saying. And I said, shame on us. Uh, every assembly, I don't care where you go, pretty much goes like this. In terms of meeting size, how does it work? Biggest meeting, this one, Family Bible Hour. Next biggest, Breaking the Bread. Smallest, which one is it? 
prayer meeting. What are we saying? What are we, we're, we're, I'll tell you what we're saying. We're saying, God, we don't need you. We can do this ourselves. That's what we're saying. We're saying it to God. We're saying it to each other. We, we can do this, okay? It's fine. Uh, you know, listen, we're, this is America, right? This is the country uh, of self-made people. And that could be our biggest hindrance. See, we're used to rolling our sleeves up and getting it done. But when it comes to spiritual things, you cannot roll your sleeves up and just get it done. Because God's work is a spiritual work, isn't it? And we have to express to God our dependence upon Him. Not only is it about expressing our dependence, it's about communion with Him, isn't it? Any relationship depends on communication. <clears throat> when a young couple start uh, their relationship, courtship together, they just they get together and they talk endlessly. You know, about nothing really, but I mean, they talk, they just love being together and talking. And, and you know, if you're not careful as years go by, you can just be two strangers under the same roof and you don't communicate. And guys, we have a problem there, don't we? You know, I get home from a trip and my wife will say, Well, how was it? And I'll say, Fine. <laughs> and she says, That's not good enough. Give details. See, she wants to know details. And, you know, I've used up all my vocabulary on the trip, I don't have anything left to say. But I realize this relationship requires continual communication in order for it to continue to be healthy. And God speaks to us through the Word of God. How do we speak to God? In believing prayer, don't we? And sometimes the communication is a bit lopsided, isn't it? He doesn't hear from us as often as He ought. And so when we look at the Scriptures, we see uh, individuals... In scripture that were very disciplined in their prayer life um, obviously we, we our relationship began with communication there had to be a point in our Christian experience or in our experience as a person where we cried out to God Lord save me I can remember it very well 16th of June 1981 in my bedroom on my knees side of the bed Lord Jesus I'm the sinner you died to save save me the relationship began with communication. He'd already communicated to me from the Word of God that I was a dirty, rotten, hell-deserving sinner. I was convinced of that, and I cried out to him on the basis of the finished work of Christ and asked him to be my Savior. It began with communication. It will thrive with communication. Bill MacDonald, who has a way of saying things very pointedly, says, The Savior does not have first place in my life if my contacts with him are occasional, spasmodic, brief, and hurried. He just has a way of saying it, doesn't he, Bill McDonald? I mean, that's just amazing. The Savior does not have first place in my life if my contacts with him are occasional, spasmodic, brief, and hurried. He's not got first place. So, think about some of the examples in the Word of God. Look at Psalm 55, for instance. And again, we just want to base our thinking on the scriptures here about prayer. Uh, David uh, says this in this psalm. <clears throat> to the chief musician, a psalm of David, he says in verse 17, Evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud, and he 
shall hear my voice. And so David set aside times in the day that he would just kind of put aside the busyness of being the king and all that was involved in that and just go into the presence of God and express his dependence on God. Good habit, isn't it? To get into, to set aside time. See, the thing is that um, we set aside time for things that are important to us, don't we? I set aside time for breakfast every morning. It's kind of amazing, isn't it? And then, you know what? I set aside time for lunch. And I set aside time for supper. It's amazing, isn't it? But they're important to me. As you can see, they're pretty important things in my life. And I never forget. My wife and I, uh, we kind of made a decision that based on this example, we try and do that ourselves. And so when I'm home, uh, we pray together uh, after breakfast, we pray together after lunch, and we pray together after supper. And uh, it's, it's good. It's a good thing. You know, we've got, we've got five kids. We have got lots to pray about. Just with five kids, never mind anything else, we have a lot of things to pray about. And we feel the need of it. And, and it's, just, it's not just like that. It's, it's like, uh, you know, why do we eat three times a day? It's, it's for strength, isn't it? For the day. For the activities of the day. We, we need sustenance. We need strength. And I think prayer is the same thing. We're saying, Lord, I've made it through the morning. <laughs> Praise the Lord, I've made it through the morning. Now, now uh, it, it's the middle of the day. I'm getting weak. I need your help again. And then uh, the evening, nighttime can be a time when you get yourself in trouble. You come, come home from work. You've done a day's, day's work. You're tired. You sit down. You put the TV on. And you start. Boy, we need to pray before we even press that button, don't we? Because, you see, when we're tired and kind of spiritually a bit lazy, that's when we can get into trouble. And, and so all I'm saying is that we, that's why this is called spiritual disciplines, is that we need, just as the athlete incorporates a certain rigor and a regime in his life. I remember uh, as a kid watching um, a man called Daley Thompson. He was a British athlete that won two gold medals at two subsequent Olymp- Olympics, one after the other, and uh, in the decathlon. That means he, he proved himself the best in the world over ten events. I remember seeing a documentary about this guy and the discipline in his life. What he ate and what he didn't eat. What time he got up in the morning and how he would go for runs and how he would do this. And, and it's amazing the, 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 the discipline of this man's life so that he might win a gold medal. And now most people probably in this room have never even heard of Daley Thompson. Right? At the time, he was, he, was a, he was a world hero because he'd won this two Olympics, one after another. But that kind of glory of the world fades fast, doesn't it? But I think about the heroes of the Christian faith. Hebrews 11 heroes. I think about the heroes of church history. Uh, we still remember them, don't we? Uh, they, they, their glory hasn't faded in a sense. And, and they had a discipline about them. Paul prayed, 1 Thessalonians 5.17, without ceasing. So as well as set times for prayer, there's that continual attitude of prayer, isn't there? That we can, as we're driving down the highway, especially if you drive in South Florida, you ought to be in prayer. Right? Dependence on God. Yeah, I'm one step away from death. <laughs> driving on the... We need the Lord, don't we? And... Um, 
so, so that attitude needs to be a, a very key aspect, that, the, the discipline of daily prayer. Now, how do we do that? Uh, I don't know about you, but I'm awfully forgetful. In fact, before I forget, I had promised Scott DeGraff, uh, he and I pray together once a week, and I promised him that I would greet the saints here at Boulevard, and I almost forgot, you see. So, uh, and that's the problem, right? Is our, we, we, you know, we say to people, I'll pray for you. Here's Tim going off to South Korea. And I'm sure you'll say, I'll pray for you. You know what will help you to remember to pray for him? Write it down, stick it in your Bible in a prayer list, and you'll remember Tim. And he'll appreciate being remembered as he starts a new work. And, and so this is my prayer list. I have a daily thing that I pray for, and then I have a different area of the world that I pray for each day. Monday's Europe, Tuesday, North America, Wednesday, Asia. And I just kind of work through the globe. And it's, uh, it's, it, it helps me because uh, there's lots of things I want to pray for, but I'm very forgetful. And so I use this list, and, and I do my daily reading. And when I've done my daily reading, I get myself down to pray, and I use this list to help remind me of things to bring before the throne of grace. And it's specific things, not just, you know, God bless the Christians in Asia, but I've been there. I know what they need. I know the difficulties. So I pray specifically for them. And it's what a tremendous privilege it is to be able to, I think in eternity, the Lord will show us how our prayers have impacted on a global scale the work of God in this world. Well, then it will be worthwhile, won't it, when we see the, the impact of that? I don't know if you ever remember reading in one of Bill McDonald's books. Uh, he talked about a prayer meeting in California, in one of the assemblies there. And there was a missionary family in Africa. And they were all very burdened about this family. And they, they met together because they, they kind of had the sense that there was something not right. They hadn't heard from them for a while. And uh, they knew there was kind of upheavals in the country there. So they had an all-night prayer meeting. And they, there was, I think, 32 people who prayed for this couple. Turns out they were in a missionary com compound and they were gorillas, not the ones that eat bananas, but, but the, the, the ones that want to hurt you, uh, were surrounding the missionary compound and they, they had every intention on basically taking the compound, killing the missionaries and, and doing a lot of damage. But it turned out they met one of these gorillas years afterwards and asked him, why did you not attack? And they said, we saw 32 guards armed to the teeth outside that compound, and we dare not attack. Now, there were no guards there. What do you suppose was going on there? See, do we believe that God answers prayer? I think we do, don't we? And, and what, can you imagine getting into eternity and the Lord playing back, as it were, the tape of our lives and showing the impact that our times of prayer had on this world. But it's going to be exciting, isn't it? Sometimes God gives us a glimpse, a kind of little foretaste of glory, and that's a wonderful thing. Uh, like, for instance, when I'm driving down the highway, I'll often ask the Lord, I'll say, Lord, uh, if there's somebody you want me to pray for, put them in my mind. And so somebody will come to my mind, and I'll pray for them, and sometimes I'll call them up, and, and, and they'll say, Boy, it's amazing that you called today. I've just gone through a real trial. And I think, well, you know, the Lord knows that, doesn't he? I mean, it's his body that, that is, and he knows his body better than any of us. And so that idea of this, this attitude of prayer, this desire uh, to uphold the people of God. Remember the, the battle uh, that the children of Israel had against the Amalekites and Joshua is fighting in the valley. And remember there's Moses up there and he's holding his hands up. And while he's holding his hands up, there's victory on the battlefield. And yet, you ever tried doing that? Hold your hands up for a while? 
You know, they get real heavy after a while, don't they? They're like lead. And after a while, his hands began to... And, and so Aaron and Hur kind of held him up. And they prevailed. And they were able to beat Amalek, which is a picture of what in the Bible? The flesh, isn't it? Do you think that the flesh can be defeated without going to the throne of grace in prayer? You're kidding yourself if you think that. And so we need to become people of prayer. And again, I'm asking you to be honest today in the presence of God. I don't know what your prayer life is like. I don't know whether it's vibrant. I don't know whether it's passionate. I don't know whether it's, it's or, or just apathetic and inept. I, I have no idea. But you know. And, uh, you know, one of the things that we're good at in New Testament assemblies, we're good at knowing what the Bible says. We're very poor sometimes at doing it, aren't we? Isn't that our weakness? Don't you think? I'm just being honest. I mean, uh, if it, we, we act on a small percentage of what we actually know. But I want to tell you, if you act on these disciplines in your Christian life, it might be the preservative that saves you from falling. It might churn you from being somebody who just kind of limps along in the Christian life to somebody who actually wins the prize and makes a difference for eternity's sake. And uh, now we, we, we're saying prayer is difficult. Uh, Paul talks about it as, as wrestling, doesn't he? Ephesians 6, 2, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And it is a wrestling match. You remember the, the great illustration that Jacob wrestling with the angel. You remember that story? And he says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And the interesting thing is that, that, that he actually prevailed against the angel of the Lord, although he was crippled for the rest of his life. It's kind of interesting too, isn't it? A man that spent his life running from problems. Running from Esau, running from Laban. He can't run anymore now, could he? He's crippled. Not only that, a man who spent his life scheming, right? He's always, you see Jacob, you know, he's a right, we call him an islander, right? Schemer, that lad. And, and he was, I mean, he's always scheming, trying to manipulate circumstances, work things out. And he had to spend the rest of his day leaning on a staff. What an what a illustration. From now on, Jacob, no more running and no more scheming. You learn to depend on me, the living God, and we'll see what can happen. And that's the idea. We're wrestling not against flesh and blood. And it is a wrestling match. Uh, Paul also says in, in Colossians 2.1, he talks about the great conflict that I have for you. And, and the word conflict there is agonia. The Greek word agonia, from which you get agony. In other words, he's agonizing over the saints in Colossae because heresy is coming in amongst the saints. And he's agonizing for them in prayer. You know what? It's so much easier to complain than it is to pray. So here you are in this assembly. And you know the assembly better than I do. And everybody, when they look at an assembly, they can see problems. And false. And we can either bellyache to one another about the problems, or we can talk to the one person in the universe can, that can fix the problems. And so often that's what we do. You know, the problem with this assembly is that uh, preaching is pretty poor. Well, pray for the preachers. Pray that they'll have an experience with God as they study the Word of God, and that they'll stand as the oracles of God and give the Word of God in power. Pray for them rather than complain about them. It really would make a difference, wouldn't it? And so um, we, we need to be involved in prayer, the prevailing prayer. Remember the, the widow and the unjust judge? And uh, 
this guy, he didn't fear God or man. He didn't care for anything. But, but this woman just won't leave him alone. And eventually, he said, Be, lest this woman weary me, I'm going to act on her behalf. Well, we're not coming to an unjust judge. That's the wonderful thing, isn't it? We're coming to a God who loves us, cares for us. But, but there is a sense of prevailing upon him in prayer. And uh, we need to learn that. James 5. Just turn there for a moment, James 5. I, I really like this verse in many ways because sometimes we set the Old Testament saints upon a pedestal and we make them out to be super saints. And I don't think God ever intended that. He says, Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elijah, do you love this? was a man subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again that the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Several points about this. First of all, that he's a man of like passion just like you and I. Didn't that encourage you? He, these guys are not super saints. They're, they're just human beings with the same frailties and struggles that you and I have. And yet he prayed. He prayed actually that it wouldn't rain. Now, let me say this. He prayed that based on the word of God. Because Deuteronomy 28 said that if the nation of Israel would turn to idolatry and turn away from the Lord and not obey his commands, that he would cause the rain to stop on the land. The early and latter rains would dry up. And so all he did was remind God of what he said in his word. He said, look, there's Ahab, there's Jezebel, the, the, the prophets of Baal. These guys are involved in idolatry. You said in your word that, that you would withhold the rain. Lord, stop it raining. And it stopped raining. Because he just reminded God of what he said. And then after the, the battle on Mount Carmel, when the 450 prophets of Baal were cut to, to ribbons, and they put away their idols and they said, we will serve the Lord. He said, okay, Lord, you can send rain again now because they've repented. And by the way, that's a good lesson for us, isn't it? The best way to pray is to pray with your Bible open and remind God of what he said. That's a good way to pray, isn't it? Uh, I, I love that. I, I just uh, I read a verse this morning and I, and, I, and I took it to the Lord in prayer and I said, Lord, I, I want you to do this. And, and I'm going through the book of Ezra at the moment, really enjoying uh, reading through Ezra and I read this verse and I thought Lord I'm, I'm just going to lay hold on this this is a good verse and uh, it's Ezra chapter 8 and verse 36 and just the end of the verse it says speaking of what was going on in those days Ezra and all the, 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 the people that were with him and it says they furthered the people and the house of God they furthered the people and the house. And I prayed, Lord, uh, this week in Florida, my prayer for you is that, that the ministry that will given will further the people and the house of God. You think God will honor that kind of prayer? I think he will, right? All we're doing is reminding him what he's already said. I think God, God's committed to what he said, what he's spoken. Uh, we're also encouraged to, uh, by, by men like Elijah, men just like you and I, but, but the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. We're encouraged to pray joyfully. Uh, as Paul prayed for the Philippians, he talked about bringing them to the Lord and what a joy it was to remember them. And it is joy because there's joy in obedience, isn't there? There's misery and disobedience, but there's joy in obedience. And when you know that what you're doing is what God wants you to do, there's a joy in that. 
<clears throat> and um, kind of a verse that, you know, when, when I look at some of the things that are going on today and in assemblies and in other places, we, we wonder, we long for better things. You know, when the Welsh Revival occurred in 1904, one of the leaders of the Welsh Revival was a man called Evan Roberts. And somebody asked him one day, what's the secret of the Welsh Revival? And you know what he said? He says, there is no secret. You have not because you ask not. Very powerful thought, isn't it? Not just that. Um, Spurgeon, remember Spurgeon? Great preacher, all the rest of it. He was asked the same question. God bless that ministry. Metropolitan Tabernacle in London. People were getting saved left, right, and center. Almost every time he preached, people were getting saved. And, and he was asked, what's the secret? And he said, well, let me show you. And he said, I'll show you the engine room. And he took people down into the basement, under the pulpit, there was a little room. And every time Spurgeon preached, there were people on their knees in prayer, praying that God's word would not return to him void, and that it would accomplish the purpose for which he was sent. And he said, this is the secret. It's not C.H. Spurgeon, it's not that I've got some... It, it's the fact that people are praying. You know, the most thrilling thing is I, people that come up to me from time to time, and they say this to me, said, Mike, I pray for you every single day. You know, it's like somebody came up and gave me a bar of gold. I mean, it's just, it's just, what a thrill to know that there are people that are upholding me before the throne of grace every single day. You can't put a price on that. And so, um, a helpful formula that has been suggested over the years is the, what we call the ACTS formula, A-C-T-S, um, as in the book of Acts. That when we come into God's presence, a good place to begin is adoration. I used to listen to men pray in Northern Ireland and they would, they would be there eloquently telling God who he is. And I'm thinking to myself, why are they telling God who he is? He knows who he is. Then it dawned on me, they're not doing it for his benefit, benefit but for their benefit. They're reminding themselves who it is they're speaking to. First of all, so they might come reverently, but secondly, so that they might realize that they're coming to the one who sits enthroned upon the universe and the one who can change things. He spoke the worlds into existence. This is who we're talking to. This is the one who can change the things that we're concerned about because he's all powerful. And so a good place to begin is adoration, then confession. See, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And so I need to come and I need to, first of all, having come with adoration, then say, Lord, I don't want there to be anything that will hinder my prayers. So show me, is there anything that I need to confess and agree with you that this is sin? And then thanksgiving. Let's not forget past answers to prayer. Last week I had two very specific answers to prayer. And uh, it was a real encouragement to me. In fact, I emailed a few people. I've been praying for my son James. He's working in Norway uh, and uh, trying to evangelize there. They've got a little meeting in their home. They've got 16 people meeting together and he's been trying to get a job. And of course, he's trying to learn Norwegian so that they'll take him seriously when he goes for a job. Well, uh, we've been praying about that. And on Monday, uh, he starts a job. The Lord opened up a, a way for a job for him. And uh, so that was a clear answer to prayer. We've been praying for some time about that. And then the second one was, uh, I'm going to India May 16th and I, I, um, I've had so many trips in the last few weeks to Canada and the Bahamas that I didn't have my passport available long enough to apply for a visa and it's getting close and I'm thinking Lord I'm worried about this visa and I'm praying Lord get it back to me quick 
So I sent it off. It went Tuesday. And by Friday morning, I got a letter from, uh, got, got an email from the Indian consular. Your visa is granted. It's in FedEx. It'll be there the next day. I'm expecting it when I get home. So praise the Lord. Uh, clear, specific answers to prayer. And we need to thank him for answers given. And then finally, supplication based on who he is, based on the fact that I'm coming with my heart clean, I'm thankful for what he's given me, now I come and bring these needs before him. I want to think a little bit about corporate prayer. Does this finish at 12? Oh, praise the Lord. Another answer to prayer. <clears throat> corporate prayer. Um, the church was born in a prayer meeting right Acts chapter 1 13 and 14 they were in the upper room praying and the spirit descended on the waiting disciples in the upper room if you read the book of Acts every major move forward was connected with believing prayer when there was opposition, Acts chapter 4, they told them no longer to speak in the name of Jesus. It says in Acts 4, they came together, they prayed, they prayed for boldness to speak in the name of Jesus. And it says, the place where they prayed was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and preached the word with boldness. Obstacles were overcome in believing prayer. The great missionary impetus that, that in Acts chapter 13, it says, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Lord said, separate unto me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. It was as they were praying that God made this, this next move of taking the gospel to Europe uh, very clear to them and it was connected with prayer. Now, let's just look at an example. First Timothy chapter 2 of corporate prayer and I want to just say something which may be controversial uh, but I want to say it anyway because it's the truth and whether it's controversial or not it's God's truth and uh, I, I, my conviction is that as we come together corporately as a church to pray that based on 1st Timothy 2 verse 8 that the men are to be the ones who lead in prayer he says that here I will therefore that men now that word men, he could have used one of two words. He could have used the, the, the generic word, mankind, or he could have used the gender-specific word, the males. You know what he says? I will therefore that the males pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. And I think that prayer, you see, people, people use pragmatism to argue against the scriptures. And they'll say, well, listen, if we divided the prayer meeting we'd have twice as many praying. You ever heard that logic? You get more people praying that way. So we have men praying in one room and the girls in another room, ladies in another room. We get twice. No, that's not logic. You know why? Because when somebody prays in the corporate prayer meeting, they do not pray individually. They pray representatively. In other words, when I close in prayer after this meeting, I'm not just praying for me. I'm going to pray we, us, and our, right? I'm going to include everybody, and I'm hoping you're praying along with me, right? You're saying, yes, amen, so be it, we want that. And so literally, if you all add your amen, and by the way, amen's a good legitimate word, we should use that, you know, not just, don't, let's not just leave it to the Caribbean assemblies. 
Amen is okay, you know. I, I just kind of find sometimes, I think the dead in Christ, you know, we're, we're, I'm, I feel like I'm preaching in a mortuary most of the time. Lifeless, just sat there like you're kind of, sorry, I, I'm getting carried away here. But, but you see, when you say your amen, you're saying, so be it. And, and if everybody says, so be it, then the whole assembly just prayed. And you can't have more than all. I guess you could have all y'all if you're in the south, but you can't have more than all, right? It's the whole assembly just prayed, and so uh, we pray represent just like the priest in the in the Old Testament. The high priest went in to the presence of God, not just for himself, but for the people as well. And we come we come in the name of the Lord Jesus, representatively uh, for the whole saints. Now, does that mean women's prayers are of no effect? No, I'm not saying that at all. In fact, uh, I believe that women should be praying, but in silence. Remember Hannah? Do you remember that woman that turned the tide for Israel? And it says that her lips moved, but there was no sound that came out. She was praying in agony of spirit. You talk about agony. She had an agony of spirit. And she prayed, Lord, give me a son and I'll give him back to you and we'll see what you can do with that. Paraphrase. But that's what she said. And the whole tide of an apostate nation turned based on the answer to the believing prayer of a woman. And I can tell you from church history, that's happened more than one occasion. Susanna Wesley. John Wesley said, I learn more on my mother's knee from her prayers than from all the theologians in England. What a statement. See, again, a woman's prayers turns the whole tide. D.L. Moody had uh, been preaching and uh, there were two ladies and every time Moody would preach, they'd come up to him afterwards and they said, we're praying for you that you'll have an experience of the Holy Spirit. I've got to be careful here. You know, we've we, we got to be careful. Don't just kind of react to the charismatic movement. You know, all they ever talk about is the Holy Spirit. The reaction is never to talk about the Holy Spirit. We, just as we need believing prayer, we need the Spirit of God to work in this assembly and in our lives. And so these ladies said to D.L. Moody, we're praying to have an experience with the Holy Spirit. He said, don't pray for me, pray for the lost. They said, no, we're praying for you. So D.L. Moody was walking down a street in New York City one day, and all of a sudden... He said he had an experience of the love of God coming upon him. And he said it was like waves and billows going over him, this sense of being loved by God. And he said he, he went in and it was such a private moment that he checked himself into a hotel room. He shut the door and, and he just felt like the whole room was enveloped with the love of God. And he actually ended up having to cry out to God, asking him to stay his hand because he thought he'd be consumed by the love of God. And Moody said that he went back to preaching and he preached the same sermons, but with altogether different power. He said sometimes before he'd even finished, people would get up from their seats, walk forward and receive Christ. What happened? Well, these two sisters, their prayers were answered. I could give you so many examples of that. Uh, the revival in the Outer Hebrides, uh, in uh, in uh, the Isle of Lewis under the, the ministry of Duncan Campbell. Great story. I don't know if I've ever told it here. If I have, it's worth telling again. It's an amazing story. Uh, two ladies who were really concerned about the young people and just their apathy and, and uh, the church was kind of not where it should be. And, and he was really burdened. These ladies were burdened. And so they started praying. And as they were praying, the Lord kind of put on their hearts to, to talk to the, the pastor of this church, of Scotland church, and ask him to invite Duncan Campbell. And so they, the, the, the ladies, uh, they were two and they couldn't get out to meetings. One was legally blind. The other one was crippled with arthritis. But they were women of prayer and they, they said to the preacher, can you get this guy? So he said, I'll, I'll try. So they, they called or they wrote to Duncan Campbell and he was 
booked up for I don't know how many years ahead of time. And he said, I just can't come. So the news was delivered to these ladies, and the ladies said, he will come. So they kept praying. Duncan Campbell was at Keswick Convention. You know, in England, if you get invited to Keswick Convention, you've arrived. That is, you know, kind of a big place to speak. He's at Keswick Convention. He's the next on the platform to speak. And God burdens this man so greatly about this invitation to the Outer Hebrides. He felt if he didn't go at that moment, he'd be in disobedience. So he leans over to one of the preachers and said, you'll have to take my place, I'm leaving. Gets on a ferry, goes across to the Isle of Lewis, and there are people there ready to meet the ferry. They're so convinced God is going to bring this man. And a revival broke out. Every bar, every pub closed on the Isle of Lewis. They're still closed to this day. Uh, tremendous. People were lying on the ground under conviction of sin, crying out, what must I do to be saved? How did it begin? Two women laid hold of God in prayer. John Newton, remember the story, Amazing Grace, we sing that lots of times. He said, no matter where he went, he could not get away from the prayers of his godly mother. Her prayers pursued him into every area of debauchery he went. He could not forget the prayer. You got a, a wayward child? I'll tell you, you just lay hold of God in prayer. That's, that's, that's going to get him more than anything else. Or her. Um, you know, if you want, uh, and I'm, this is addressed to the sisters, but everybody's involved in it, but just because I'm talking about power of the woman's prayer. If you want to see real change, maybe change in your husband, change in the assembly, change in yourself, can I say this? Forget manipulation and try intercession. Sometimes, you see, that's what we try and do, right? We try and manipulate, nag, I don't know, whatever, whatever it takes, but it doesn't work. In fact, it backfires, doesn't it? People don't like being nagged, and they, they get mad and all the rest of it. But I have a suggestion to you. Talk to the one who sits enthroned in the universe. And he can change everything. Some quotable quotes. When we get to heaven, we will wish we had prayed more. Another guy says, when I pray, things happen. When I don't pray, they don't. Another one said, no prayer, no power, little prayer, little power, much prayer, much power. What should we pray for? Again, let me use scripture to guide us about what we should pray for. Paul's prayers are very instructive, aren't they? Ephesians 3.19, he prays for the saints that they might be filled with all the fullness of God. How would it be if every believer in Boulevard Bible Chapel was filled with all the fullness of God. You think it would make any difference to the local assembly here? Make a huge difference, wouldn't it? <clears throat> Philippian Church. If you think of an assembly that was loving and caring to the Apostle Paul, it was Philippi. Yet Philippians 1.9, he prays for them that their love might abound yet more and more. How, how is the world going to know we're his disciples? He says, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples by your love one to another. So when we come to pray at the prayer meet, what do we pray for? What's the object and subject of our prayers? I want to tell you, most assemblies, we, all we ever do is pray for sick people and unemployed people. In other words, what we're saying is what's important is the physical and material. 
and we wonder why nothing spiritual ever happens. Now, I'm not saying if you're sick, you don't want people praying for you. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying that if you don't have a job, you need a job. That's I just mentioned it. We did that for my son. But what I'm saying is that so often I go to assemblies that are hanging by a thread. What I'm, I'm saying unless the Lord does something, Ichabod, you know, it's all over. And I go to the prayer meetings and you think everything was wonderful. No sense of agony, no sense of crying out, God, do something. You know, unless, unless you do something here, we're finished. Filled with the knowledge of His will. Colossians 1.9 Pray that the word of the Lord would have free course and be glorified. Second Thessalonians 3 verse 1. And we could go on and on. All I'm saying is that in our Christian lives, one of the hardest areas of discipline is prayer. But, if we want to be like the athlete that wins the prize, we need to incorporate some discipline in our lives that means that this morning if you're in any way convicted by what we're talking about make a plan of action don't just say oh that was a good message or that was a bad message whatever you think I'm not telling you what way to think about the message but, but if, you're, if you're really convicted about it make a plan I don't have a prayer list I don't have set times of prayer uh, I, I, I'm very casual about prayer. I think the first place to begin is get before the Lord and say, Lord, I've been living this Christian life dependent on myself for too long. I'm done with that. It's not working. And I want to learn to make it a habit of my life to be a man or a woman that daily expresses my dependence on you in believing prayer. some of the hindrances to prayer we've already talked about it haven't we Psalm 66 18 if I regard iniquity in my heart the Lord will not hear me maybe there's a cleaning up act needed before we can become disciplined in prayer maybe instead of spending time in prayer we've been spending time doing things we ought not and that intimacy and closeness with God has been lost because sin always separates so maybe there needs to be some of that. Disunity hinders prayer, doesn't it? Because when there's disunity, I've heard it in prayer meetings where people are actually praying, quote, preaching at somebody else in prayer. And that doesn't go beyond the ceiling, right? It just goes across the room, but it doesn't go into the heavenly sanctuary. And so unity is a key aspect. When they were of one accord in one place and they prayed, things happened. <clears throat> I, I really believe we're living in the last days. One of the evidences of that, I see a great apostasy on the church. Brother mentioned to me that even the very title spiritual discipline made him nervous because there are books out there that are encouraging Catholic contemplation and all that kind of nonsense. I'm not advocating anything like that at all. All I'm saying is that the word disciple and the word discipline sound very similar, don't they? That's not by chance or by accident. And that if you want your Christian life to count, there needs to be incorporated in that life some discipline. You will never drift into being a man of God or a woman of God. 
In fact, if you drift, you know where you're going to go? Downstream away from God, right? The great warning of the book of Hebrews is drifting. The danger of drifting. And, and so instead of drifting, there needs to be determination. Like Daniel of old, who purposed in his heart, there needs to be a decisions made this morning in the presence of God to purpose in our hearts that we are going to be disciplined in the area of prayer. Lord, my prayer life has not been what it should be, and the results are evident. But the good news is today is the first day of the rest of my life. Isn't that encouraging? And yesterday's failures do not have to be today's experience. And we can determine, well, I'm going to make a prayer list. I'm going to start that simple. Make a prayer list, and I'm going to get up, if it's ten minutes earlier, to make sure that before I go out into this wicked world, where there's an enemy of my soul that wants to destroy me spiritually, I am going to go out, first of all, having depended on you in prayer, before I even step outside the door. That'd be a great thing, wouldn't it? My prayer is that, that these meetings are not just going to be meetings in a sense of going through the motions but they're going to be a seed change for all of us that in fact we will meet not just with each other but meet with a living God and hear his voice if the Lord Jesus said men ought always to pray and faint not what do you suppose we should do? pray does it take discipline? Yes. Is it going to be difficult? Yes. Even when you start out, I mean, if you start out even today, it's going to be difficult because I'll guarantee when you get serious, the enemy will get serious too. Fiery darts will come in. All kinds of thoughts will come into your mind and you're going to have to literally pull yourself, bring your thoughts into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And you'll realize what prayer is. Warfare. Prayer is conflict. It is an agony. There, there is a battle going on. And we are in a war, by the way. And there are casualties in war. I don't want to be the next casualty, do you? I just heard of a brother recently. In different circles, gospel hall circles. Never preach again. Very gifted man. Listen to his ministry. Blessed by his ministry. It's all over. Why? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The Spirit's willing. Hey, we all really want to do the best for the Lord and be what we should be and all the rest of it. But the flesh is weak. Let's pray. Father, we just come as thy blood-bought people and would believe that most of us that are here this morning would say that in spirit we're willing we really want to please you Lord Jesus you've done so much for us we really want to live for eternity we want to run and win the prize and yet Father we come and we acknowledge that our flesh is weak and we have failed so many times in trying to live the Christian life without laying hold of the eternal God who is our refuge and strength we ask that you'd forgive us for our prayerlessness in times past and that collectively and individually that we might be disciplined in the area of prayer we pray father for this assembly that the prayer meeting might not be the meeting 
that is known for its smaller numbers but would be known for fervor and zeal as saints lay hold on thee in prayer Father we'll be so quick to give the glory where it belongs to thee for thy great work in our lives and for the Lord Jesus for his sacrifice on Calvary again we just ask you to use thy word in all of our lives in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and for his glory Amen